things. All right, uh, if uh, you would be so kind as to take your Bibles and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 6. 2 Corinthians, chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading at verse 1 as we move along in our study of this uh, marvelous letter of the Apostle Paul. 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. I'll read through verse 13. And as you're able, please, would you stand with me for the reading of God's holy word? Keep in mind the context. Paul has been speaking of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly at the end uh, of the prior chapter, beginning at verse 20 and and 21. Uh, And so with that in mind, then, he says, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 6, Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors, and yet are true, as unknown, and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as punished, and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. God adds his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Please be seated. So last week, as you may remember, we were taking a look, uh, wrapping up really, chapter 5, but uh, particularly looking at the idea of God as the one who is the ultimate one who reconciles Uh, his own to himself. And we noted in that reconciling work of his and all the various characteristics of it and what he does, one of the components that has particular relation to us in a practical fashion is that he calls servants uh, into his service. He commissions his people to serve as his ambassadors. And we talked a little bit about what ambassadors do. That they go out with... uh, with a commission from their their sending government, with the authority to speak, what that government authorizes them to speak, to represent that government in in various uh, matters of state and diplomacy and, and communication. And if an ambassador does his job well, he not only says what should be said in, uh, you know, in a faithful way, but he says it in such a way as to reflect favorably upon those that sent him. I think, for those of us who have been around a while, we can think from different times, from different ambassadors who have gone overseas and made a terrible, terrible mess of things because of their own corruption, because of, of uh, just their, their thought that they being on the ground knew more than uh, those who sent them and therefore they could do whatever they liked. It doesn't work very well. Um, We have been appointed, Paul uses this metaphor of being an ambassador, particularly he's speaking of himself, but also there is by extension that same appointment to us who are raised up as, as kings and priests before God, as those who serve him as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, of those who are called upon to declare his glories among the nations and his wonders among all peoples, that these 
the, these principles of commissioning and speaking as his ambassadors uh, applies to us as well. So last week we saw God is a reconciler and what God does and what he calls us to do in general, in other words, the appointment of our job. And then this week, we're going to be getting into that job description a little bit. We know what our job is. We've talked about what we're to do before God. This week, we're going to talk about how we are going to go about doing that. So we're going to speak about your conduct as an ambassador. And I would submit to you that your conduct should be such as brings honor to your Lord. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, I love this first verse when we read here, working together with him. Now, that thought in itself, if you just pause there for a second and think about the enormity of that. Now, let's not, I hope this is not a distraction. I do not wish to make any comment one way or the other about the character of the man in the office at this point. But let's say you are appointed by the current president to do a job. It'd be one thing if, you know, whether it's an, as an ambassador, let's say. So if, if you're sent out as an ambassador to country XYZ on the authority of the, the sitting president, it's one thing if you are sent out Maybe you get a letter, you get a phone call, you get your, you know, your airplane ticket, off you go into the wild blue yonder, and you get planted there. And other than that, you never have any real interaction, any direction, or anything else from the one who sent you out. How would that make you feel? Kind of cut off, kind of alone, kind of, what do I do now? Yeah, probably. On the other hand, if you're the one who sent you out says, Come in, let's talk about this. Keep in touch with me. We're, we're in this together. Uh, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're a team in this task for which I'm sending you out. Would that not give you a, sense, a greater sense of ability to do your job, of, of, uh, of a sense of um, empowerment to do what you were appointed to do? I think it would. And so when we see this here, we've got the God of the universe who is the reconciler of the, the lost to himself, the one who has put together a plan and the one who knows how to institute it, the one who has all the answers. And when he calls us to do this work, here we have the Apostle Paul noting that we have the opportunity to work with him. And the way that uh, Paul really ties this in, it's marvelous. Take a look at verse 20 of the prior chapter where he says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We talked about that word appeal last time and noted that it, in the context, it can be easily translated God making his summons. It's an authoritative summons as he calls people to come alongside him. And then it went on to say, it goes on to say, we implore you on behalf of Christ. That's the urging that we do. But look what you have in verse one. Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. It's the same word. It's like a transfer, not really a transfer of authority, but a, a, a sharing of the authority that we have as we work with him that when we speak, it's a summons as well that has authority. One of the things I tell my homiletic students is that I, what I want them to do is get, word, get rid of the word share out of their preaching vocabulary. I just have something I want to share with you today. <laughs> okay? Why does that just make me cringe? Because as a preacher, you're not, stand, you're not called to share. You're called to declare. Amen. And it's not because you have intrinsic authority. It's because God has intrinsic authority as the Lord of all. And you bear some of that authority as he commissions you with it. So the next time you get pulled over, this is assuming something, the next time you get pulled over for speeding, <laughs> notice if the officer comes up to your door and says, 
Sir, ma'am, I'd like to share with you something today. Does he do that? No. He says, you are speeding. Here's the, the summons. And it's not because he's being a jerk. It's because he's commissioned to do a task to enforce the laws and so on, right? He's not up there to share. And you and I, when we are testifying of the Lord Jesus Christ on his behalf, it's not just about sharing something which implies kind of a take it or leave it thing. It doesn't mean being obnoxious. It doesn't mean grabbing them by the collar and shaking them until they, you know, uh, as my dad used to say, shake them until their eyes rattle. That's not uh, uh, what we're talking about. But there is an authoritative declaration of thus says the Lord. And it's not about take it or leave it. It's about believe it or else. And so that, that is the nature of this appeal. And so as Christ's ambassador, you are to appeal to those who are lost with urgency. Look at the nature of this appeal. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time, now is the day of salvation. So a couple of things here. We're talking about not so much the content now. We're going to do that, Lord willing, next week. And we look at the end of the chapter. But the, the manner and the motivation of the appeal is revealed to us here. Urgently appeal, first of all, in light of God's grace. Now you don't see the word grace. Well, yes, you do see the word grace there. We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. To recognize the enormity of God's gift. Uh, there's a there, there's more than one hymn that I can think of off the top of my head where uh, we we sing of this enormous grace, whether it's amazing grace or uh, the marvelous grace of our loving Lord. We we sing, we talk about that all the time, and yet I think of the hymn right off the top of my head with the line, "Mark," it's from Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted. Mark the sacrifice appointed. Note how great a salvation is ours. We talk about grace so commonly, so easily, and oftentimes way too flippantly. Grace is something that's not, we don't, we're not, God doesn't owe, owe us that. It is his gift. And it's a gift that we in no possible way can deserve. And yet he does it anyway through the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't receive, it's an interesting comment, don't receive that grace of God in vain. Don't acknowledge who Christ is. And really, he's, Paul is talking to a bunch of people who are, as you re remember, those of you who have been with us working through this, this book and also through 1 Corinthians uh, some time ago, when we note this, this is a church that's in the middle of an incredibly corrupt, wicked society and the temptation for them to go back to what they left, to the idolatry and the sin, was great, apparently. And Paul was constantly working with, uh, with them on that score. And so he's, that's the context in which he is saying, you've, you've come to Christ You've acknowledged his lordship. You've received, uh, you've received his blessing and his grace. He has reconciled you to himself. Don't go back there to wickedness. Don't fall back into the old way of life. Urgently appeal for them to recognize the enormity of God's grace. Now, all of you have no doubt, <laughs> no doubt, had... Uh, uh, a telemarketer or two call your house. Is there a difference between the ones that actually care about their product and actually have some inkling of what it's actually all about and the ones who simply are reading a script? If I sense that somebody's just reading a script to me, it's click. I, depending on the time, sometimes all of them are click. But... Um, Occasionally, I, you get something, there's something different about the way they call. And, and then I, I'll ask a question or two, and the next thing you know, we're having a conversation. 
I don't often buy anything, but nonetheless, still, there is a difference. I'm willing at least to talk to them. If I sense that they actually have some heart and soul into this product. If they don't, I'm not going to give them the time of day. I realize it's their job and so on and so forth. I'm not trying to be mean. But if I've experienced something, when I talk to you about it, that's going to show. If I haven't experienced it, or if I discount it and don't really give it the credence that I should be giving it, that's going to show. So Paul, in making his appeal to them, sets the example forth to us that when we talk about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to others, when we make this appeal, this summons under the creator and redeemer and reconciler, that we do so recognizing how great this gift is. Appeal urgently in light of God's grace. And then also, uh, to add to the urgency, not so much about the, this is the, the, with grace, but about the quality, if you will, of the, of the call. But there's also just the fact of the, the timing of it and a recognition that the day of grace uh, is limited in terms of our lives and where we are before the Lord. That appeal has gone out. We need to respond to it. We need to do that ourselves, of course. But having done that, as we appeal to others, to, as Paul calls to mind, this passage, in a favorable time I listened to you, in the day of salvation I've helped you, he reminds you, now is the day of salvation. You know, this, uh, having been in sales and not really liked it, the main reason I didn't like sales was this right here. This issue right here. I could talk about product all day long. No problem. Talk, 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 talk. We could have a great conversation back and forth. But when it comes down to sign on the dotted line, that's the hard part. Right? Uh, salesmen that come to our house and do things, they, they, a lot of them are not happy with us. We've left a trail of dissatisfied salesmen in our wake throughout our marriage that they come and want to sell us something and they talk to us for two solid hours about something and we take all this time and they do all this stuff. We ask them all these questions and so on and so forth. At the end of the day, we go, hmm, no. And then they, they're like, you know, they spend all this time. But that's... Coming to the close, closing the deal is tough. And being a witness for Christ is, please don't misunderstand me, I'm not crassly suggesting it's just about a sales pitch. But it is all too easy for us to talk about Christ and talk about these things if it's, as if it's some intellectual exercise that we can talk about this and you can talk about that and you can agree to disagree and so on. Somewhere in the conversation, as the Lord's ambassador, we have to say, this is urgent. This is not something you can set aside. This is something that you must consider. Your life depends upon it. Now is a day of salvation. It's not a matter of indifference. That's the point. So urgently appeal is, is to, to urgently appeal is part of what it means to be an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. But then he goes on, people can make appeals. Lots of people can make appeals, but there's more to it than just saying some things. And that really is the, the majority of this particular section, verses three through 10, Paul explores that. When he speaks of the service that is done as Christ's ambassador, and he's speaking particularly of himself in, in his conduct with the Corinthian church, and so we see by his examples and principles for us to live by. Verse three says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Now, an obstacle, not a complicated word, it simply means anything that's in somebody's way, particularly in this context, that would cause them to stumble, would cause them to deny the Lord Jesus Christ who was given to redeem them. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 5, if you will. We're going to have occasion to turn back to Ephesians chapter 5 uh, next week as well. 
In Ephesians chapter 5, look at verses 8 through 10, particularly the last phrase of verse 8 on through 10, where Paul is telling the Ephesian church, walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. In your life, as a redeemed individual, you're, not, you're called out of darkness to walk in light. You're not called to continue on <clears throat> in the fallen ways of the world and, and uh, still somehow feel good about yourself that you've been redeemed. If there's a love of the things of the world, love of the eyes, uh, right, the pride of life, what does John say? He says, you're not of the Father. You're still of the world. So we need to put those things aside. Because if you, as a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, walk in a way in your pride, in your wickedness, and your character and your reputation is known as, not as someone who's holy and righteous before God, but as someone who's sinful and arrogant or whatever the sin might be, uh, what kind of credibility do you have as a witness? Uh, I would say it would be zip. Paul says we didn't put any obstacle in anyone's way. We, and, and this kind of thing is not like, well, you know, there are things that we can do that are accidental, right? Um, that in our frailty, we can do things that can offend someone and we have no intention of doing so. But even in those unintentional ones, things that aren't premeditated, that we decided we're just going to, uh, we're going along and thinking well but uh, we, uh, uh, about ourselves and what we're doing, but come to find out it caused a problem. That happens too. But obstacles usually arise out of some sin of ours. That we just put out there, and we're up there supposedly speaking for, uh, speaking for uh, the Lord, and yet we're doing so in such a way as to bring a discredit to his name. And we do it, it comes out of our own sin. Usually, it's about thinking more about ourselves than about others. And at the very heart of serving others is putting ourselves aside for the sake of other people. And Paul is saying, I'm, and he said this in other places in other ways too. If it's going to cause somebody to stumble, I won't do it. Right? No matter whether he thinks he can or not. That it indicates the mindset that he's speaking from here. I'm putting aside myself, my own desires, and my own, uh, my own priorities for the sake of the Lord's. So as not to cause someone else to sin against God because they look at me and go, well, if it's okay for him, well, I guess it's okay for me. So we're talking about service, service here in this section. And particularly serving with integrity. And that's bring that out of this idea of not putting any obstacle in anybody else's way. He does says, we don't want any fault to be found in our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves to you in every way. Now, Paul, we, we've talked about this before when he talks about commending himself. He's not bragging about himself. He's not saying, look how wonderful I am. But remember, Paul, uh, again, for those of, you, those of you that have been here, you know, we've looked through this again and again. Paul has been accused falsely of, of poor motives, poor performance, uh, just uh, being mean, being uh, insensitive, or whatever. And his apostleship's been called into, a question, into question. And Paul's been spending a lot of time in this book reasserting that his commission is from God and Besides that, his conduct is such that it dem it's a demonstration that his commission is genuine and that he has sought to perform it in a godly way that they did not have the right to question. So he's really ultimately looking for the honor of the Lord who commissioned him, not himself. But he says here, as servants, we commend ourselves in every way. How, I want you to think about that. Here, here again, pause for a second. Can you honestly say 
that you can commend yourself in every way before God and man. It's quite a statement. And then he goes on to explain what he's talking about, what every way he, he means. First of all, uh, and I'm taking these, these are grouped by that little word you see repeated, by. Because right? after each by is a group that seems to go together pretty well. So let's look at the first one. How, in what ways was Paul's conduct and commission commendable? Well, great endurance, by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labor, sleepless nights, hunger. Not a very pleasant list. But in all of those things that we know from the book of Acts um, and elsewhere in the, in the epistles of Paul as he refers to them from time to time, of, of all of those hardships that he went through, all of those trials that he went through, Paul always acted in integrity. I could take a lot of time this morning, which I won't do, just to give example after example after example, whether it's, whether it's Philippi, whether it's um, on the voyage across the sea and the shipwreck, whether it's at Caesarea, whether it's in the temple at Jerusalem, wherever it is, Paul, through all of those trials, through all of those difficulties, never brought shame to his Lord. When he was reviled, he did not revile again. When he was accused, he either uh, responded in a godly way from the word or appealed to his citizenship, which was his right to do. But in every way, he responded lawfully and righteously. When he had the opportunity to escape, he did not do it and encouraged others not to do it for the sake of the glory of his Lord. And certainly the Lord was glorified on that occasion there in Philippi is where I'm thinking there. But over and over again, Paul acted with integrity, with consistency between his mouth and his actions, consistency between his beliefs and what God had said and how that was lived out. If you serve the Lord Jesus Christ faithfully as his ambassador and speak his truth, there will be trials in your life as a result of that. Live in such a way that your behavior is commendable before God and does not cast a black mark upon his name because you respond in anger, uh, you know, trying to justify yourself uh, in revenge or whatever else. Behave in a way that is consistent with the character and commands of God. Serve with integrity in times of trial. Then look at the next uh, by, the next group here, in verse 6. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. These speak, in my mind, to character. It's one thing to stoically endure. Paul's not talking about a stoic endurance that just kind of goes along and fine and in your heart thinking how horrible and miserable and wretched all of those people are that are giving you a hard time. And boy, wouldn't you like to do something to them if you had opportunity. But no, all right, fine, I'll just take it. No. It's got to be more than that. And Paul speaks to that here, that he has integrity when it comes to his character as well. What's, what's inside there in that, re, in that reconciled heart, that redeemed heart that's, as we talked about, uh, was it last week or a couple of weeks ago now, I've lost track, um, but uh, that all things have been made new. Well, to live in that newness, it's going to be revealed in the purity of our hearts, in our, in our knowledge of God, in the patience that we have in the middle of all these afflictions, uh, in the kindness that we show to other people, in our response to the Holy Spirit, in the genuine love that we show towards one another. Those things, too, should be evident in the life of the ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. It's part of serving with integrity. And that what we are inside matches, well, I'll put it the other way, that what we are outside matches and springs out of what we are inside. Verse 7 is the next set. Serve with integrity in your methods. 
we could spend a lot of time here. You might remember, those of you who have been here for a while, um, uh, was it last year, the year before? I can't remember now. We did a whole series on evangelism. Remember one of the things that we talked about there, uh, more than once really, was some things to avoid in evangelism. Methods that take it upon ourselves to you know, arm twist somebody into the kingdom. Or to presume uh, uh, upon God's grace and mercy and, and allow for any kind of uh, you know, wicked behavior, but to, to um, continue on without any thought about what God thinks about it and still say, well, yeah, that's okay, but you're, you're still a Christian because you said the name of Jesus uh, or prayed a prayer. You know, we need to think about our methods. And Paul is speaking here in his methods. And again, he's spoken of this in other places around the scriptures. Uh, one of the one that's probably maybe the most familiar to you is, says, I didn't come to you with all these words of wisdom, not a lot of uh, highfalutin rhetoric and all of that. He says, I came to you, I preached Christ and him crucified. And so in verse seven, he says, how am I commanded before God and before you by truthful speech and the power of God that was evident through his work and what he did with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. In other words, completely, no matter what circumstance is going to come up, I'm not using weapons of carnal flesh and warfare to try to manipulate people into the kingdom. I'm preaching God's word. And it's his word that is that two-edged sword that pierces even to the dividing of the bones and marrow. It's, it's God's word. It's his, it's his redemptive message that is um, characteristic of the ambassador. And there's no, there will be no shame, as Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. So serve with integrity and methods. And, and really, the key to that is simply doing it the way God says to do it and models it in his word. And don't think that God's word has to be embellished somehow with hyper-emotional appeals or mechanical methodologies that get people to walk down an aisle or pray a certain prayer or fill out a card or um, any number of other things that people do. And uh, It's not that people, the Lord can use any method and can work in spite of man's methods, okay? But those things just get abused so often. People go away being told that now they're Christians and they, didn't know, they had no clue about what they just did or why and who the God is that they supposedly now believe in. So do things in God's way. Integri the integrity comes with your willingness to, do, to, to stick with um, those things that may seem foolish to the world. None of us wants to look foolish to the world, but the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but we still need to preach the cross. Not a bunch of self-help things, not a bunch of you know, affirming everybody's ego or whatever. Um, serve with integrity in your methods. And then serve with integrity regardless of how you are perceived by others. And this is a, a kind of a surprisingly long little section here, but it's important. Look at verses eight through 10 here. You know, uh, there's a, a good friend of mine who loves to, loves to cite the familiar quotation that no good deed shall go unpunished. Everybody heard that? Yeah. And you know, there are times when you can do the best thing. Uh, parents, parents, you live this out on a regular basis where you do things that your child does not understand. And they are the right things to do, whether it's in discipline or whether it's educating them, teaching them, uh, restrictions you put on their life, whatever else it is. And they come back and go, you never let me do anything. That's like, this is not even remotely true. Uh, it, it's, you never, you know, you don't trust me. You don't do this, you don't do that. And, and it's like, I'm just loving on you, kid, and you don't get it. Ever happened to you? Ever happened to you in the workplace? Ever happened to you uh, anywhere else? In the church, perhaps? 
where you've done something uh, on, in the Lord's name for the good of somebody else, uh, according to his word, um, without, any, without any ulterior motives or any effort to try to, to uh, uh, do anything wrong to anybody, but nevertheless, you uh, are perceived as being high-handed or arrogant or what right do you have or blah, 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 blah. You still have to serve with integrity. You don't change doing the right thing just because somebody doesn't like it. That's the point. So look, how was Paul? Paul goes on. There's a whole lot behind this list in Paul's life. If you read between the lines on this and think about what, what prompted Paul to say these things, your imagination can go wild on what Paul experienced at the hands, not only of the Corinthians, but of many other places that he went to as well. First of all, and here's the key that you have to, in order to help you serve with integrity, regardless of what other, other people think, whose opinion is the only one that is really important? It's Christ's opinion. The Lord's opinion. That's it. You are his servant, commissioned by him. If an ambassador goes out into a foreign country, and he's all worried about what the country thinks about him in terms of, now honestly, of course, he wants him to honor the country that sent him. But if he's so worried about his personal friendships and connections and all of that, is he going to be a good ambassador? He's going to be a lousy ambassador. He's going to royally mess things up. Because he's more worried about, you know, uh, how people personally like him or not. So he will cut corners. He will be dishonest. He will manipulate. He'll, he'll flatter do all those kinds of things in order to get along. Dear friends, if you are Christ's, you are his servant regardless. And I believe that's Paul's point here. So regardless of how everybody thought of me, uh, I'm walking, I've walked before you with integrity. Whether you are honored or not, verse 8, through honor and dishonor. You may be dishonored. You're still Christ's servant. Ultimately, the, the slander and the uh, whatever that goes against you is really going towards the one who commissioned you. You're his servant. Keep at it, whether people honor you or not. The next one, you're Christ's servant whether you're praised or not. Anybody here like to be praised? Not a single hand. I don't believe you. Yeah, we do, right? We love to be praised. We love to be commended. But if we make that an idol in our lives, and boy, I just really want to live to be praised, uh, again, you're going to be a lousy ambassador. You're going to misrepresent Christ. Christ said, if you're my disciples, be prepared for persecution. If they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. So just... Reconcile yourself to that thought and, and persevere because you're my servants. And because you're my servants, whether you're praised or not, you can still continue on in your ministry and must. <clears throat> and then we have this, the, the largest little section of this here, and I was trying to break it down into various and sundry points and finally decided, no, that's really not the issue here. Paul is just throwing out all these examples, which I have no doubt there's a story behind each one of them. Uh, uh, an accusation behind each one of them. But listen what he says here. We're treated as imposters. He, we know several occasions where he talks about that, where people thought that he accused him of being some kind of lesser apostle, if he was an apostle at all, because he wasn't one of the original 12, and so on and so forth. Doubting his commission. We're treated as posters and yet are true. Regardless of whether, of whether he's regarded as an imposter, he knows in his own heart before God, he's walking in integrity as one who is not an imposter, who is absolutely walking according truthfully uh, in line with his redemption and commission. He's regarded as unknown. Who is this guy? Why should we listen to him? And yet well-known. 
Who is he well known by? By God. He's Christ's servant. The Lord knows him. He stands before God. He knows that. The one who knows him best of all. Certainly, if there are things as we stand before God and we're, we know we're accountable towards him, well, okay, if there's something in your heart and mind that needs to be repented of and turned from, then repent from it and turn from it. But you don't answer to everybody else. You answer to the Lord. What about the next one? Uh, as dying and behold we live. As, as, and the next one, as punished and yet not killed. Can you, think of, can you think of any incident in Paul's life where they thought they'd done away with him? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The stoning comes to mind particularly. And um, others that uh, you know, plotted to kill, his, to kill him, right? And those things were thwarted. Paul is saying, regardless of what anybody thinks, if they think I'm dead, okay, uh, well, that'll make my taxes easier next year. Um, no, I mean, he recognizes that before God, he is, he is living and he possesses a life that no one can take away from him except the Lord himself. And in fact, that, for that, if you want to look at it that way, when you're redeemed, the Lord's not going to be taking away your life. Not ultimately. You live with him forever. And regardless, you think about the martyrs throughout the centuries that have, have said, you know, you, uh, you think you're taking my, my life, but you're really not touching anything that's important. Right? They knew that they were going to live forever with Christ, regardless of what everybody else thought. So regardless of what people think about you, whether you're, they think you're anything, whether they, they think you have a voice, whether they think you have a right to speak, whether they think that they've done away with you, um, in God's providence and in God's plan, you'll be done when he says you're done and not before. So have at it. Keep at it. Serve with integrity, regardless of whether you're understood rightly or not. Next one, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Sometimes I wonder if, you know, if people looked at, just, well, think about American history and uh, when people used to, uh, and still do, talk about how morose and how, how sad and how miserable the Puritans were, which is a total lie. They are a, a, a pretty uh, uh, joyous bunch of people. They were serious about watching, walking righteously, but they... If I can use the vernacular, they liked to party too. They enjoyed fellowship and they enjoyed um, humor and they enjoyed other things. But they, to this day, they have the reputation of being sorrowful and being miserable and walking around depressed all the time under this constant set of guilt. No, when they felt guilt, they went and they took it to the Savior and put the guilt away. And Paul says, I, I'm regarded as this, I'm treated as if I'm some morose person all the time, but I'm really rejoicing. Think about him in the Philippian jail, and they're singing psalms after they've been beat with an inch of their life. As poor, yet making many rich. How, much, how, much, how many worldly possessions did Paul actually own? Well, he owned some parchments, like any good theologian, had his books, and an extra coat. What else did he have? Didn't have a house. Didn't have lands. Right? Didn't have much at all. And yet, think about how Paul was used by the Lord to transform the Middle East. And to this day. Yet making many rich. Having nothing, and yet he possesses everything. Oh, we're going to deprive that Paul. We're going to put him in jail. We're going to do all these other things. Well, he won't have anything. That'll get him to shut up. No, nope. Paul possessed everything. He knew it in Christ. So regardless of whether you're understood or not, the Lord knows you. So serve with integrity before him without being worried about what everybody else thinks. And that leads me to the final point here. And it kind of really springs out of this understanding that we're serving as unto the Lord. In verses 11 through 13, he says, we've spoken freely to you. Our heart is wide 
open. This is an interesting couple of verses here. Freely uh, it translates a word that really speaks about a person's mouth being wide open. Now we often think of that saying, you know, open mouth, insert foot. But this is not about inserting the foot. This is about not holding anything back. Again, without any reference to anyone living or dead or currently in office, uh, this is not about standing up before others and mumbling. This is a mouth wide open, clearly speaking what God has to say. And he says, this is the way we've talked with you. There, we held nothing back. So we need to speak with freedom. This is kind of the uh, kind of bookends this passage after speaking about the appeal. This even speaks even more to the, the, the heart or the passion of this appeal. Where nothing is held back. With In verse 11, there the first part of it. We have spoken freely to you with, with transparency. We've, we haven't hidden anything. What God has told us to say, we've told it. We've held nothing back. Freely speaking with transparency and freely speaking with love as well. Our heart is wide open on their behalf. Didn't tuck anything away. Didn't, didn't reserve things because you might get hurt. Didn't wait to serve and didn't wait to show love and compassion and to preach until he was sure that they were going to receive him. No. He loved them, laid it all out on the table, regardless of the consequences, and spoke freely. And he spoke in this freedom of, this, this free speech that he has going on here, verse 12. Uh, this is an interesting verse about being restricted. You're not restricted by us. You're just restricted in your own affections. Paul's basically saying, I know you don't, maybe you don't trust yourself. You don't, sure you trust me, but that's self-imposed. It's a self-imposed legalism. It's a self-imposed uh, uh, pessimism or suspicion about others. It says, I've given you no occasion for that. I haven't laid anything on you besides what God has said. I haven't, he says, I'm basically saying, I haven't been a Pharisee. I haven't laid on layers after layers after layers of stuff that you have to do before I'm happy with you. It's what, this is what God has said. And you're not restricted by me. I haven't done any of that. In other words, he's freely speaking unconditionally. He hasn't said, I'm going to be your apostle. I'm going to serve you as long as you respect me. I mean, this letter, he's been dealing with them and, if, and in the first Corinthian, the letter the first letter of the Corinthian church as well he confronted them with the, their lack of respect for his office and so on but it never slowed down his service to them one iota he continued to serve them even though he continued to get kicked in the teeth for it by certain parties in that church as he spoke before them it was unconditional out of out of his love and desire for them and then verse 13 this speaking freely in return, in return to what? In, in return to their poor response. He says, I speak as to children. Widen your hearts also. Love me freely. Recognize that this is a relationship that we should have. So the little phrase, I speak as to children also, made me think about this. And um, if you're filling in the blanks there, it's freely speak with patience. Ever had to explain something to a child more than once? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Does it take patience? Yeah. Um, we've been, my granddaughter Rhea has been playing softball. First time. It's been lots of fun to go to the games. I'll, I'll resist the temptation to go through her stats for you right now. But what I'm mostly impressed about, actually, as not so much her performance because she's still learning. It's fun to see her do it. But I'm, I'm pretty impressed with my son-in-law who's coaching the team. Because I watch him with, his, with these six-year-olds six and seven-year-olds. And yeah, it's like herding cats. 
And he never loses his temper. He says the same thing over to them when they get up to bat or when they're out there fielding 14 times. And he does it with patience and compassion and gentleness over and over and over again. And eventually they catch on and they start to improve and it's really awesome. Ever had a coach that was a yeller and a screamer? Yeah. It doesn't make you really want to rise to the occasion, right? But that gentle, tender compassion, I see that in Paul here. I speak as to, as to children. I continually, I'm, I know I'm repeating myself, essentially. Widen your hearts. I love you. Love me in return. So that we can have the kind of full relationship that the Lord intends for us to have between a, a you know, pastor and church. Well, as you as an ambassador, you think just because the first time you say something to somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to go, oh, wow, yeah, okay. I mean, it's really awesome when that happens, but usually that's because somebody else has said the same thing to them 14 times in patience before you came along. So be, be patient as you freely speak. Don't hold anything back and out of love. Uh, for those whom the Lord has sent you to minister, speak with freedom as, as an ambassador. Because remember, as an ambassador, you are working in concord with your Savior. Remember, back at verse 1, now we're working with Him, right? Or you should be. Because that's the only way that you will bring glory to His marvelous name. That's what we're called to do. So appeal, serve, and speak following his standards and thus honor the one who redeemed you and commissioned you. Now, Lord willing, next Sunday, uh, we will examine a little more carefully the content of this urgent appeal, and that's the balance of this chapter. The content of the appeal that Paul is especially highlighting, there are other things, of course, but he's particularly highlighting something with the Corinthian church, Lord willing, we'll take a look at that next week so that as we serve as ambassadors for Christ in our office, that our conduct and what we say will bring glory to his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this precious passage. Thank you for the principles that we see here about how to serve you. Lord, we know that we are, we are fallen, we are frail, we are weak, we are fearful. But Lord, we also know that through Christ we can do all things, for he is the one who strengthens us. So Lord, come alongside us, strengthen us, give us, give us courage and boldness to speak truth with compassion and integrity and freedom in the midst of a lost world. In Christ's name we pray.